This is Unsung History, the podcast where we discuss people and events in American history that haven't always received a lot of attention. I'm your host, Kelly Therese Pollack. I'll start each episode with a brief introduction to the topic and then talk to someone who knows a lot more than I do. Be sure to subscribe to Unsung History on your favorite podcasting app so you never miss an episode. And please, Tell your friends, family, neighbors, colleagues, maybe even strangers to listen to. Today, on the third episode in our short series on Chicago history, we're discussing the history of Polish Chicago. If you've ever lived in Chicago, you've probably heard at some point that Chicago has the largest Polish population outside of Warsaw. We'll come back to the veracity of that statement in a bit, but it's certainly the case that the Chicagoland region has a large population of people of Polish descent, and that Chicago is important historically to American Polonia. To understand Polish immigration to Chicago, we first need to understand a bit about the history of Poland itself. In October 1795, representatives from Austria, Prussia, and Russia met to divide up the lands that had been the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. It wasn't the first time Poland had been partitioned, but this third partition meant the end of an independent Polish state until World War I, over a hundred years later. In 1830, Polish patriots launched the November Uprising, which became a full-scale war against Russia. After the failed revolution, thousands of Poles fled Poland in a great emigration to Western Europe. At the same time, the earliest Polish emigrants to Chicago were noblemen who came in small numbers, hoping to create a new Poland in Illinois. In 1848, Poles attempted, again unsuccessfully, to rise up, this time against Prussian forces. The Greater Poland Uprising of 1848 was part of a wave of European revolutions that year, sometimes described as springtime of the peoples, and it involved the peasantry much more than earlier Polish revolutions. After 1850, Polish emigration to Chicago intensified, and Poles primarily settled in five Chicago neighborhoods, the Lower West Side, Bridgeport, Back of the Yards, South Chicago, and what became known as the Polish Downtown, the area around Pulaski Park, River West, Bucktown, Wicker Park, East Village, and Noble Square. One of the earliest leaders in the Polish community in Chicago was a man named Peter Kielbasa. Kielbasa had immigrated from Poland with his family as a teenager, settling first in Texas. He initially fought with the Confederate Army in the Civil War, but after he was captured, the Union Army recruited him to their side and he was promoted up to captain. 
after the Civil War, he moved to Chicago, where he joined the police force, and, with Anthony Smarzewski Sherman, helped organize St. Stanislaus Koska Catholic Church, the first Polish parish in Chicago, founded in 1867. Kilbasa was the first Polish elected official in Chicago, serving in the state legislature from 1877 to 1879, and as city treasurer from 1891 to 1893. St. Stanislaus Koska was only the first of nearly 60 Polish parishes to be established in the Chicago Archdiocese. Likewise, Kilbasa was only the first of the Polish elected officials in Chicago. Kilbasa had run as a Democrat. John F. Smolski was a Republican who was elected city attorney in 1903 and state treasurer in 1906. Although there has not yet been a Polish mayor of Chicago, Poles played an important role in the election of Mayor Anton Czermak in 1931 as the Czechs and Poles allied together in Chicago. Later in the 20th century, Chicago Democrat Dan Rostenkowski, son of a longtime alderman of the Polish downtown, became one of the most powerful congressmen in the country. Rostenkowski served as chair of the powerful House Ways and Means Committee from 1981 until 1994, when he was indicted on corruption charges and defeated narrowly in his re-election bid. Poland, which hadn't been an independent state for the entirety of the 19th century, regained its independence after World War I, when a Polish republic was proclaimed on November 3, 1918. The Peace of Riga, signed on March 18, 1921, finally ended the Polish-Soviet War. The peace was brief. The Nazis invaded Poland in 1939, launching World War II, which devastated Poland. After World War II, the Soviet Union seized Poland as a satellite state. A third wave of Polish immigrants fled to Chicago in the 1980s, known as the Solidarity Immigration, when martial law was imposed on Poland in 1981. In June 1989, in a partially free election in Poland, the trade union Solidarity won an overwhelming victory precipitating the peaceful fall of communism in the country. In 1998, the road between the Shedd Aquarium and the Adler Planetarium on Chicago's museum campus was renamed Solidarity Drive to commemorate the movement to bring freedom to Poland. Solidarity Drive features the statues of two famous Poles, astronomer Nicholas Copernicus, and military hero Thaddeus Kosciusko. Let's return to the question of whether Chicago has the largest Polish population outside of Warsaw. 
The brief answer is definitely no, since there are two cities in Poland with larger populations than Chicago's Polish population. Even if you focus on cities outside of Poland, though, Chicago does not have the largest Polish population. So many people of Polish descent have left the city of Chicago for the suburbs that both London and New York City now have larger Polish populations than Chicago does. But if you look at the larger metropolitan area that includes the suburbs, Chicago comes out on top. According to a 2015 report by WBEZ Chicago, quote, the Chicago area has a Polish ancestry population of just less than 900,000. New York's is closer to 800,000, and London's is much smaller. Translation, the Chicago metropolitan area is the largest Polish metropolitan area outside of Poland, unquote. Chicago can claim the largest Polish parade outside of Poland, the annual Polish Constitution Day Parade, which celebrates the anniversary of the ratification of the Polish Constitution on May 3, 1791. The parade has been held in Chicago nearly every year since 1892. With the exception of 2020 and 2021, when it was virtual because of COVID. More than 150 Polish clubs and associations participate in the parade, and an estimated 10,000 spectators watch each year. Joining me now to help us understand more about Polish Chicago is Dr. Dominic A. Pasiga, Professor Emeritus of History at Columbia College Chicago, and author of several books on Polish immigrants and Chicago, including the 2019 book, American Warsaw, The Rise, Fall, and Rebirth of Polish Chicago. Dominic, thanks so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I am always delighted to talk about Chicago. So I'm excited to talk here about Polish Chicago, which is something I didn't know as much about going into this. In the entire time I've lived in Chicago, people have told me there are more Poles in Chicago than anywhere else in the world except Warsaw. I believe that's not actually true. But can you talk a little bit about the importance of Chicago to the Polish diaspora? Sure. Basically, Chicago is the capital of the Polish diaspora in North America. From its founding in 1850s, really, the, there's an early Polish migration to the city in the 1830s, right after the Russian-Polish War of 1831-32-33. But after that, there's a what we call the Zachlebem migration. That means for bread. So it's basically an economic migration that takes place. And this is largely peasants in background. 
uh, though there are some others who are some are intellectuals and some are you know religious leaders, priests primarily, etc. And of course, also the Polish Jewish community, which also comes along. And by the mid 1850s, you're starting to see a small but discernible Polish community uh, evolving on the north side of the city, northwest side of the city, near Milwaukee Division and Ashland, really along Noble Street and Division. And uh, the leaders of that are a fellow named Antony Sherman and Piotr Kielbiasa. And they are two uh, people who helped to create the first Polish Catholic church in the city, St. Stanislaus Koska, which is still there on Noble Avenue. And its rival, Holy Trinity, is still on Noble Avenue down the street. Um, and that's the beginning, really, and and that really becomes the center, sort of the center for the Polonia in Chicago. It's the largest and most prestigious settlement. But there are five original neighborhoods that emerge very quickly. On the west side, there's the area in Pilsen at 17th and Polina, St. Adalbert's uh, Parish, or which we say in Polish, we would call the neighborhood Wojciechowa, or the parish of St. Adalbert's. Then there's the Bridgeport Connection. Uh, there are two Polish Catholic parishes in Bridgeport that are founded, and then in back of the yards where there are three. So that's uh, so you've got uh, West Town on the northwest side, you have Pilsen, and then you have Bridgeport back of the yards, and the fifth is South Chicago down by the steel mill community. And so out of those five original neighborhoods emerges a Polonia that really spreads quickly uh, across uh, the area. So a lot of Chicago stories end up referencing the 1893 World's Fair. I live in Hyde Park, so I'm surrounded by World's Fair. And of course, there is a connection here that you talk about in American Warsaw. Can you talk a little bit about that? So Poland isn't an independent country of its own at the time, but there is a Polish presence via the Chicago uh, Polish community. Yeah, I mean, the 1893 World's Fair is actually important. And it also is the 1894 uh, exposition Lvov, which is now in Ukraine, uh, and it's now called Lviv, but at the time it was called Lvov, or Lemberg, because it was under Austrian control as well. Those two fairs are very important because one of the things, one of the points I make in my book, American Warsaw, is that there's a constant argument over what is the relationship between Chicago or between the American diaspora and Poland? What does it mean to be a Pole in America? What does it mean to be uh, and, and what is that relationship? How are, how do people in Poland feel about that relationship as well? See, I think the migration is very important for both American history, but also for Polish history. And it's often ignored in Polish history. It says, oh, yeah, a lot of people left. Oh, well, well, now let's get back to talk about the important things. But I think it's actually crucial for the development of, of the Polish independence movement. And in 1893, when uh, the Polish communities are starting to feel a little clout, right, starting to have a little power in that great Chicago uh, word clout comes out, right? They push for their Polish day at the uh, Columbian Exposition. And so like 5,000 Poles march from the downtown area, cross the, cross the loop, uh, get on the Illinois Central Railroad train, take it down to the uh, Jackson Park, and there have a huge celebration. Previous to this, there had been a sort of exposition, a small exposition of Polish artists, which was very important, but it wasn't marked as 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 part of an independent country because it was not an independent country but there had been this exhibit of polish artists at the uh, exhibit there was also a polish restaurant it was the only polish building at the at the fair it was set up by people in the diaspora so this was the beginning of sort of you know i mean if you think about chicago ethnic parades almost every weekend we've got somebody marching 
someplace, right? I remember attending the Polish Constitution Day parade. It was the same day that there was a walk for Israel, right? And somehow there was another a Greek parade coming right across it, and we, they cut between each other. It was just, you know, there's a wonderful Yiddish word, mishigas, you know? This was such a, wow, what the hell is going on here, you know, kind of thing. Uh, parades, though, mean we're here, we're important, and you better watch out because we're getting power. And that's what this begins in 1893. And uh, it is the beginning, really, of Polish political, economic, and cultural power uh, in, in the city. The following year, the Poles in Chicago and uh, in New York and other places, but primarily in Chicago, helped to organize an American ex- a Polish-American exposition at the Lwów Fair, which is a fair that's held in 1894. It's a celebration of the Kosciuszko Rebellion and the last partition of Poland in the 18th century. And it's an attempt to bring Polish patriotism together. See, because Galicia, which is an Austrian province at this time, Austro-Hungarian province at this time, is also a hotbed of Polish nationalism. In fact, in Galicia, the official language is Polish, not German, not Ukrainian, not Latin, as it once was for the entire Austro-Hungarian Empire. Uh, but Polish. And so the Poles are given a great deal of freedom to go about doing things. And they do things very quickly. They're very pointed in what they want to do. They want to reunite all the Polish lands. Now, what does that mean? I mean, Poland was once the largest country in Europe, included many ethnic groups, large groups of Poles, but large groups of Polish Jews, Germans, Slovaks, Czechs, White Russians, Lithuanians, Ukrainians. There was a huge Assyrian population in Poland at the time. So, I mean, you have this huge group of people. It's, it, it's, it's sort of like the United States, right? I mean, it's got all these people living in it. But this is before the rise of nationalism. Once nationalism takes off, then you get Zionists going in one way. you got Ukrainian nationalists going in another way. you got Polish nationalists going another way. Lithuanian nationalists going in another way. And you get the arguments that make Eastern Europe such a fascinatingly crazy place. Yeah, see, so you mentioned that the the Polish community in Chicago and the U.S. more broadly is so important to the history of Poland, and that really comes out in World War One and World War Two, and the ways that that Polonia really contributes to both of those war efforts. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, World War One especially is important because it's after World War One that Polish state is reestablished in uh, November eleventh, nineteen eighteen, the same day of the armistice, is the same day of Polish independence. Uh, there's an uprising. The Austrians are thrown out. The Russians are all, all over the place. And but war, World War One does not really end in Poland until 1921, with the uh, Treaty of Riga. That ends the fight between the Soviets and Poland, uh, and so and the Polish army defeats the Red Army and maintains its independence. But World War One is so crucial because the Poles in the diaspora, particularly in the United States start to form an army. They call it the Blue Army or Hollers Army. And uh, this army will uh, go to the Western Front first, but then be transported to Poland and will fight in the Polish-Soviet War of 1919-1921. Poles organized just a tremendous amount of money for Polish war relief. That is to help. I mean, the countries, when we think of, the, of World War I in, here in the West, we think of the Western Front. You know, you think of all quiet on the Western Front and uh, the terrible trench warfare of, of Western Europe. But Poland was the Eastern Front. And Poland was devastated, just absolutely devastated. 
by by the fighting. As the Russian army came, the German army pushed them back, and the Austrians came, and the Russians pushed them back, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So the Polish countryside was basically devastating. Poland faced a famine right after the, the war ended in 1918. So there was a tremendous amount of attempt to try to raise money to feed Poland. Uh, Herbert Hoover was very important. You know, he, we talk about him in his Belgian relief, but he was also important in Polish relief uh, uh, efforts. And so there's this, this, this nation which is trying to reemerge. And that brings up a question, a question that Poles in the diaspora also have to face. What does it mean to be Polish? As they say in Polish, Polskość. What is Polishness? And this is something that we argue about constantly. I always say that Poles, especially in the diaspora, like to do two things. We like to have parades, and we like to argue with each other about who's a better Pole. And we have to define that, right? So the Polish Roman Catholic Union says Jews can't be Poles, because only Catholics can be Poles. Polish National Alliance says anybody can be a Pole, as long as they believe in Poland. So one of the early vice presidents or treasurers of the Polish National Alliance is, is Jewish. One of the founders of the Polish-American Congress during World War II is Jewish because they identify with Poland, as Arthur Rubinstein did. Yeah. So you have this, this, this constant question of what does it mean to be Polish? What is, the argument is constant. you know. And, and so between the wars, the generation that's coming to adulthood are mostly many of them American born or came when they were young, right? They're starting to identify more with America. And so they they break to an extent with Poland in, in the 1930s. Uh, and they say, well, no, we're Polish Americans with the emphasis on American. And there's this sort of break uh, between. But when Poland comes under attack again, then everybody kicks back in to help Poland. And, and you'll see that a lot. We're having a major exhibit open on uh, May 20th at the Chicago History Museum, May 20th, 2023, on Polish Chicago. It'll be 2,200 square feet or so, and it's going to travel to Warsaw as well. And, but one of the things that we have in that exhibit is, is, a, is, is a room on the connection between Poland and Polish Chicago. And this contact, you know, it, it is sort of like, you know, it, it, it wanes and it waxes, right, back and forth. And whenever Poland's in trouble, Polish Chicago steps up. So you see them stepping up in World War I, raising an army, uh, sending money for relief. World War II, not raising an army again, but sending relief uh, and uh, care package. Well, not care packages yet. That comes later and after the war. But those kinds of uh, things. And there's always been this connection. As, as early as the 1890s, many people believe that the Galician economy, that is the Austro-Hungarian part of Poland that was occupied by the Austro-Hungarians, uh, that the economy was actually based on the American dollar because people were sending money back. Polish Catholics, Polish Jews were sending money back to their families and, and villages and shtetls all over Galicia. And so they were really helping people at the time. So this connection was constant. Now, you know, you, you have various waves of Polish immigration. First, you have this sort of small wave of veterans from the Russo-Polish Russo War in the 1830s. Then you have the largest group called the Zachlebem, or the Economic Migration. That really runs from about 1855, 1850, 1855, to about 1925. Then you have the World War II migration of displaced persons, right, that come after the war. And this is a, a, a second large, but not as large as the Zachlebem Migration. 
But then you get a small migration in the 50s and the 60s, and then the solidarity migration. So you have wave after wave after wave of Poles coming to Chicago, reinforcing this idea of Chicago as sort of the capital of the diaspora. And, and this is really important because when Lech Valenza climbs over that fence in Gdansk, you know, in the early 1980s, Roman Puchinsky, who's an alderman in Chicago, and, and, and before that, a, a congressman and later mayoral candidate, unsuccessful, organizes, you know, money to be sent to help Valencia and Solidarity Movement. When the communists are eventually kicked out of power in Poland about 1989-1990, Valencia comes to Chicago to raise money for investments. Because Poland is, you know, I mean, I, I, the first time I went to Poland, I've been to Poland 15 times. First time I went was 1986. The country was poor. I mean, people were standing in lines to get bread and meat and milk. I remember going to a restaurant and I ordered three things, and each one they didn't have. It was on the menu, but they didn't have it. It was like a third world country. Now Poland is like, you know, like visiting Paris. You visit Krakow. I mean, it's just a beautiful place, and it's been things have changed greatly. So that now, today, the immigrant connection is cut off. When Poland became a part of the EU, you know, the European Union, they didn't need a visa to come to France or Germany. The largest immigrant group in Norway are the Poles. The largest immigrant group in Ireland are the Poles. Until Brexit, the largest immigrant group in Britain were the Poles. I was in Sicily, and then I was told by a Sicilian that there were 50,000 Poles in Sicily working on construction jobs. I mean, it's just kind of amazing because they can go anywhere. So they don't need to come to Chicago to make a little extra money. There are 15, I think 13 or 15 buses every day from Poznan to Brussels. So if you can work in Belgium, you can come home for Christmas. You can come home for Easter. You can visit your grandma on the weekend and get, and then, you know, JetBlue and all these other places, these other airlines that are so cheap. It's easy to move back and forth. So I think that that has been a big part of it uh, as well. So the connection isn't as strong as it once was between mm-hmm. Poland and Chicago, but the cultural connection is still. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about, we talked about clout in Chicago politics, and you write about how there is and was, of course, uh, a lot of political clout for the Polish community in Chicago, but perhaps maybe never quite as much as one would think there could have been given the size of the population. There's never been a, a Polish mayor of Chicago, for instance. Could you talk a little bit about that and why why there wasn't more clout? Well, first of all, I think the, the, the issue with clout or political power in the city of Chicago and, and the Poles are a huge group, I mean, very huge voting bloc. Uh, the Polish American Democratic Organization was just founded in the early 1930s to support Anton Cermak's uh, election as mayor. Poles get a lot of political clout in the Democratic Party. They don't get the mayoralty. They get jobs. There are, you know, a patronage jobs. There are certain wards that are controlled by Polish committeemen, Polish aldermen, the Rostenkowski wards, right? which is the Milwaukee Division Ashland area, Kuczynski on the northwest side eventually. But they can never seem to come together to support any one candidate. And this is an interesting question, because remember, I was talking with a good friend of mine uh, the other day, Dan Pogorzelski, who was just elected to the Metropolitan Water Commission, whatever it is. 
Dan Dan's an astute observer of Polish and Polish American history, and and he said that you know you have to understand that this was a colonized people. They were you know after the partitions they were basically colonies of Austria, Germany, and Russia. They had no power. They were cut off from their original roots and cut off from each other. Needed to get a visa to pass from one part of Poland to the other part of Poland. Passport. So they were cut off from each other. And so they were divided. And in Chicago, they remained divided. Southwest side Poles don't vote for northwest side Poles. Because we're better Poles than they are. They won't vote for us because they're better Poles than we are, right? And we both jump on west side Poles and say, ah, who the hell are they? So, you know, I mean, you put... There's, I mean, and this is said about the Jewish community too. You put three three people on an island, you get six political papers, right? Newspapers and two radio stations and whatever, fourteen podcasts to, to argue with each other about who's a better poll, and uh, and and so that division remains. And there's also a social class division. I grew up by the stockyards. I worked at the Union Stockyards as a boy. I've written about it. There was a feeling that. Those people on the south side were a little lesser than people on the north side. People on the north side were more generally from the Prussian and, and Russian partition. Poles on the south side came from Galicia, from the Austrian. So there was this, this, this disconnect. So I think that's part of it. I mean, and, uh, I mean think about that. They, they built 60 Catholic churches in the city. 60 of them. And, uh, and yet they couldn't come together and get a cardinal. Couldn't even get together and elect a mayor. I mean, when Adamowski ran, he came the closest. He, Adamowski ran against uh, Richard J. Daly, the first Daly, in 1963. He came the closest to beating him. He still lost by 100,000 votes. But he actually did capture some of the southwest side vote, though it was not as much as he captured on the northwest side. But when Puchinsky ran against Belandic in in 1977, he didn't capture any southwest side votes. I mean, he captured some southwest side, no southwest side wards went his way. Why? Well, it's a good question because he was from the northwest side, and that division—it's the same as in the black community: west side blacks, south side blacks. You know. For a long time, same thing in the Jewish community: west side and south side Jews. You know, actually German Jews and Eastern European Jews. So, so it was that division between two groups, and so you see that playing itself out over and over and over again in Chicago history. And today, of course, there's. 90% of all Polish Americans live in the suburbs. So the days of ever getting a mayor again are extremely low. So let's talk about that then, that, that move to the suburbs, because there, there used to be something called the Polish downtown in Chicago. There were all these neighborhoods, as you mentioned, but there isn't that presence, that striking presence anymore within the city limits of Chicago. So is this just a story of what lots of immigrant groups do, they come, they get better jobs, their kids go to better schools, and they move out to the suburbs. You know, what, what's going on here? It's, 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 it's the same story, I'm afraid. You know, so when the Poles first came in large numbers, you know, the West Town area, the area around, I guess they call it Wicker Park now. Everything seems to be Wicker Park because you can't rent, rent apartments to yuppies and call it West Town or Polish downtown. But the Milwaukee Division and Ashland area. When they first came there, it was largely a German neighbor. St. Boniface was a German church. And uh, there were clashes between Poles and, and, and Germans in the church itself during Mass. 
And so uh, the Germans began to move northwest. So they moved all the way out, geez, to Logan Square, to Humboldt Park, where the Poles would never come. But, of course, they did. And uh, and they moved out there because the Puerto Ricans will never move there, right? Because that's too far away. So the Puerto Ricans have chased them there. And now they've moved on beyond. And now some of the children are moving back to West Town because it's hip to live in West <laughs> uh, So you get this kind of image of people just sort of moving across the cityscape constantly. The Germans moved out. The Irish moved. The Irish have largely moved out, and and the Poles have largely moved out. And then, but you know, but as late as the nineteen seventies, nineteen eighties, people said, "No, this is a permanent. Always be a Polish neighbor." And then, when the Solidarity migration moved in, the area Avondale around uh, Milwaukee and Diversey, right now, Yatskovla, Saint Hyacinth Parish, that became the epicenter of immigration. Well, that would always stay Polish. Well, it didn't. It didn't. And people are moving out. And now yuppies are moving in. I don't know. Can you still use the term yuppie? I'm not even sure. But young professionals are moving into that area, pushing people out towards the suburbs. So the polls, you know, I, I people always ask me, how can we save St. Edelbert on 17th Street? Just move back to the neighborhood. Go to Menace. Throw a dollar in the bucket, you know, on the collection plate. That's how you save St. Edelbert. If you had a thousand polls that still lived with a thousand Mexicans in St. Adelbert's, you could save St. Adelbert's. But if you don't move back, what are you complaining about? When was the last time you went to Mass there? Now there are some people who do. And 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 I, I support their protests. I wish something could be done there. Save that parish. But my parish closed in 1990, my home parish. You know, and it was a it was a parish that was shared between Poles and Mexicans. Very, very uh, comfortable. The Mexicans would cook for Polish holidays. The Poles would cook for Mexican holidays. They sort of shared the whole space. But it was an old church and needed a lot of work. And, and there were two other Polish parishes in the neighborhood. Now there's only one. So, yeah, I mean, if you move out, you have no right to talk about losing clout. There have been various attempts to try to establish, again, a Polish ward. But it's such a fluid population, right? And frankly... The solidarity immigration and even the displaced person immigration were of a different social strata generally. They were better educated. They spoke Polish better, of course. You know, I mean, my generation grew up speaking, uh, as we say, Poshikagosku in the Chicago manner, which is our own little dialect. You know, we take an English word, pen, uh, to pen, yes. You know, we'll add a Polish ending to it, you know. So they spoke better Polish. They were better educated. Some of them came with master's doctor's degrees. They didn't want to live in four rooms on Milwaukee Avenue with a shared bathroom in the, in the hallway, you know. So they moved out. And, uh, and that's the story with, with Germans and Irish Jews, you know, leaving large numbers from North Lawndale, going up to uh, Glencoe area up to the north, north of the city and Highland Park. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's the American dream. You want a backyard? Now you want a really big backyard. You want a little backyard. You want better schools for your kids. But there's still the maintenance of Polish Saturday schools. There's still the maintenance of Polishness. And then you have to take in the the question of intermarriage. Intermarriage, you know, uh, which has hit all ethnic groups, right? My wife is of Sicilian descent. Most of my children are half Italian, half Polish. Who do they identify with? That's a good question. One of my daughters spent 
two summers in Poland trying to learn Polish. And she did a little bit. We talk a little bit to each other sometimes, but it's not the same. I mean, she didn't grow up in the same milieu that I grew up in. I grew up on 47th Street, around Ashland Avenue, between Ashland and Damon. And it was a very East European street when I grew up. There were uh, Polish Jewish stores, there were Polish Polish stores, there were bakeries, delicatessens. Everybody spoke a little Polish. And and I grew up in back of the yards. And so actually, we all kind of learned how to swear in about five different languages. (laughs) Pretty easy. (laughs) Because there were so many different ethnic groups living together, but separate. So I, I, you know, these communities, the, the, the Polish community, but also other ethnic communities, tried to create a, a, a protective sphere that took care of people from cradle to grave. Our own cemeteries, our own churches, our own stores, our own, our own taverns. Taverns played a big role in the Polish community. One of people I talk about in the book, Little Wally, Yagello, the polka kink, right? I mean, he grew up from age of eight or nine years old playing the accordion at Polish taverns on Division Street. And later became a very rich man by creating JJ Records and Polka King of America. But, uh, and, and married actually the girl who lived in the same building I lived in back of the yards, Janet. It, it was, it, it was a, uh, it was a protected community. Now by the sixties, that protection is starting to break up. Poles are gaining clout. They're, my generation went to the university. My father's generation went to work and fought World War II, but he made sure I went to the university. That gives you a different perspective, and you move into other other areas, and both physically and culturally. Yeah, I think one of the the most poignant moments in your book is you're talking about people moving out of these neighborhoods and there are immigrant women who are old women at this point who never learned English because they didn't have to. And all of a sudden they're surrounded by people who don't know Polish. Right. Yeah. They're left behind. Back in the seventies, the Polish American Congress Charitable Foundation uh, asked me to do a study. I was in graduate school and I did a study of poverty in the Polish community. And I had interviewed a lot of these people. I mean, they were lost. Their, you know, their neighbors were all Hispanic now. And they didn't speak English, and their neighbors didn't speak English. So very little communication could go on. And they resented it. They lost their community. You know, I mean, there was a feeling of resentment. Why did you come here? The same resentment that the Germans felt when they moved in. You see? And, and we do this to each other constantly in places like Chicago and New York and Detroit. And one day we're all going to wake up in Des Moines and scare the hell out of each other because we'll all be headed the same direction. <laughs> One of the reasons I wrote the book was this idea of Polskość, Polishness. In 1980, I was at a conference in uh, Toronto, Polish scholars, Polish-American, Polish-Polish scholars. Uh, it was an international conference. And I was hanging out with a bunch of Polish historians and sociologists. And my Polish is not great, but it's okay, I can get by. And we were passing around what Polish historians and others do. We were passing around a bottle of vodka. And singing songs. And, you know, we, we spent two days or so academic conference. You had breakout in a certain way or another. And I, I, I remember I, I recited a little poem that I'd learned as a boy. Who do you say I am? What's my nationality? And then it says, I speak Polish. Of course I'm a Pole. And I recited that. 
And this Polish sociologist looked at me and says, Dominic, you realize you're not Polish, right? And it was like a slap in the face. Because nobody in Chicago had ever told me I wasn't Polish. I was also an American. But nobody in Chicago had said to me, you're not Polish. I was always Polish. I mean, I was just looking at my high school yearbook for some reason or another, and there were all these people that signed a book, and every, almost every remark was about me being Polish. I, and here was this guy in 1980 who had the thoughts to tell me I wasn't Polish, you know. And I was, I was, it was like getting, you know, there's a wonderful word, a Japanese word called satori, called slap in the face. It's enlightenment. It's a uh, epiphany, an epiphanal experience. And I just I sat there and I realized, wow, I'm really not. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons I wrote the book, because how do we define Polskość or Polishness? And it's one of the reasons we're having this exhibit at the Chicago History Museum. It will deal largely with the idea of Polskość. What does it mean to be a Pole in the diaspora? Can my daughters feel Polish? And sometimes they do, but sometimes they don't. You know, because they are, uh, weren't raised up in the community that I was raised up in. I, mean, I was raised up in a pretty strict... I went to a Polish Catholic school where we learned Polish. My grandmother used to say to me, if you want to eat, you have to ask in Polish. You know, so I had to ask her in Polish. I remember this sort of intense feeling. I mean, when I was in my grandmother's kitchen, it was like being in Poland, you know. And so when that guy told me I wasn't Polish, it was like spitting in my face. I was like stunned. Later on, I went and had a Fulbright and taught at the Aguilonian University in Krakow, which is the oldest university in Poland. In fact, that year, they really celebrated her 600th anniversary, I believe it was. And um, that fellow was there. And he was a good friend of mine. And he came up to me and he kissed me on the cheek and said, welcome home. And it was just, oh, you know, <laughs> it was very moving. But uh, yeah, and so I, I go back and forth when I can. And I hope I hope when our exhibit moves from the Chicago History Museum to the National Polish Museum of History, which is just going to open in Warsaw, that I'll be able to go there at least uh, one more time. Yeah. So uh, if there are people in Chicago, we, we've mentioned that it, it Polonia doesn't have quite the presence in Chicago that it used to, but if there are people in Chicago who want to see some Polish areas, Polish buildings, Polish restaurants, maybe, do you have recommendations? Sure. I mean, they can travel up Milwaukee Avenue, which has just been named the Polish Corridor, and you know, and there are some Polish restaurants, and of course, there are now more and more in the suburbs, because that's where the Polish population has moved. I uh, am a Polish mountaineer, which is a specific group. We are uh, very proud of our mountaineer heritage, our Alpine heritage, and the Tatra Mountains, the Carpathians. And there are a bunch of Polish restaurants, Polish Highlander restaurants in the southwest suburbs, because that's where most of the Poles are. But there's one place that's a really good place to visit is the Polish Highlanders of North America Hall on Archer Avenue. It's on Archer Avenue in the Brighton Park area. Polish Highlanders Alliance. And that they, they took an old, uh, I believe it was an old Volkswagen dealership, and they remade it into a Polish mountain chateau. And it's absolutely exquisite. It's beautiful there meetings there and people dance and there's a tavern restaurant you know it's, it's, it's a great meeting place in a neighborhood that's now primarily mexican right things change but if you follow archer avenue out you'll get a polish restaurant somewhere on harlem there's the Sharotka. there's also yanosik uh, and several other places there is i actually <laughs> i won't give you the address but it's on on 88th avenue south of 95th street a beautiful Polish chateau built by a 
Polish architect and carpenter. It's made without the use of a nail. It's all, you know, joint mortise, and it's beautiful. An 88 Avenue, just past town. And there's various places, like the Polish Museum is another place. Of course, the Polish Museum is a good place to go, and it's still in the old Polonia. It's on, on Milwaukee Avenue in Augusta, just off of the Kennedy Expressway. And there are several Polish churches in that neighborhood that are worth visiting. There's the Polish, the Holy Trinity is still Polish, uh, is still very much a Polish church. It's a Polish uh, basilica for the, for the city. And there are various other places like that, St. Hyacinth and Avondale and up, up and down Milwaukee Avenue. When you drive, when you're coming in from O'Hare Airport, you drive right past St. Stanislaus Kostka's rectory. I, I told the pastor once that you could make a lot of money by offering communion out the windows. <laughs> he didn't think that was a good idea, but because yeah, the expressway was moved a little bit over, so St. Stan's was back down. And that actually happened for a few churches in Chicago. But there's still a Polish presence. There's a, a restaurant called uh, Staropolska, which is open for dinner on Milwaukee Avenue near St. Hyacinth. There's, there's various places that people can find. I, I like to go to old Polish churches like St. Joseph's on 48th Street in back of the yards. Or there's a, a, the last tavern on Whiskey Row. Whiskey Row is 40, 40, 45 taverns in a row right by the stockyards on Ashland Avenue. And the last Whiskey Row tavern is at 43rd Street and Ashland Avenue on the northwest corner. It's called Stanley's. And it's, uh, it's, 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 it's got a lot of character. And there's a parking lot right next to it. There's a lot of those kinds of places still around. And you can find some of those places still on Division Street, still on Milwaukee. There's a, I don't, my, my daughter I, tells me there's a Pulaski Day or a Polish Day pub crawl on the northwest side. So <laughs> That sounds dangerous. <laughs> that sounds dangerous to me. And I'm, I'm 73 years old, so I don't do stuff like that. If I was 33, I might, but not at 73. American Warsaw is a great book, great read. How can people get a copy? Oh, they can get it through the University of Chicago Press website. Uh, they can get it through Amazon and uh, there are various bookstores. Seminary Co-op Bookstore carries it in Hyde Park, where you live, right? I yep. met my wife. And there are various other places that it, it's easy enough to get to. And please uh, tell people to come to our exhibit on Polish Chicago at the Chicago History Museum. On May 20th will be the opening. It'll be running for about a year. Excellent. And I will be sure to go as well. Dominic, thank you so much. This was a really fun conversation and I just had a great time learning all about Polish Chicago. Thank you for having me. Dobranoc. Thanks for listening to Unsung History. Please subscribe to Unsung History on your favorite podcasting app. You can find the sources used for this episode in a full episode transcript at unsunghistorypodcast.com. To the best of our knowledge, all audio and images used by Unsung History are in the public domain, or are used with permission. You can find us on Twitter or Instagram at unsung underscore underscore history, or on Facebook at Unsung History Podcast. To contact us with questions, corrections, praise, or episode suggestions, please email kelly at unsunghistorypodcast.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and tell everyone you know. Bye! <laughs>